I will I will just start over and then we can rant about our neighbors singing the Wilhelm. Okay, Is that okay? Yeah, because, yeah. It's Friday, May 1st, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, master student in civil engineering and aspiring painter, and with me today are Gordon Derek, contributing editor at Dutch News and mute button discoverer, and Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and non-flag owner. Um, so Molly, yes. why don't you have a flag? Because I'm not really a Dutch person, basically. Mm. We, um, you know, it's, it's very customary in this country to sort of have a flagpole on the outside of your house and to put up a flag for, what, what is it, a Remembrance Day, King's Day, and if your kid graduates from high school, basically, are the only reasons to put up a flag, the only acceptable reasons. Yeah, yeah and when, when one of one member of the royal family is uh, has, her, his, has his or her birthday, right. I think. It's only so, the king, yeah. right? But people yeah. only read it for the king's birthday. Yeah. I know real obsessive do the queen's birthday and Amalia's birthday as well, but uh, ordinary people don't. But of course, no, a lot of people on our street had put their flags up for King's Day, but we do not have a flag holder. And I have been sort of, I think I mentioned this on the podcast last week, kind of sad about missing sort of the normal King's Day festivities. I quite like going to like the little like flea markets and like bartering with a six-year-old yeah. for crap. <laughs> and um, so I I said to Niels, I was like, well, I, I, I said to Niels the day before, like, oh, I see everybody else has put their flags up. Maybe we should put our flags up. And Niels was like, yeah, but we don't have a flag holder. And I was like, oh, that, that's a good point. Should we get a flag holder? And he was like, I'm not installing a flag holder. Like, this is, <laughs> this is entirely too much work. Is there um, no flag holder on your um, No, on the outside we don't have house. one on the outside of the house. House. So that, we are we were we were we were the lone yeah. the lone yeah. house on the street without the uh, without the flag up. Outrageous. Which, unsurprisingly to any regular listeners, our street mayor did 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 make a comment about. <laughs> he was out, did he? Yeah. Yeah. Did, did, he did he have you all out in the street singing the Wilhelmus at ten in the morning? He he did attempt to make that happen. <laughs> no one on the street was into that, um, unsurprisingly. Oh. So yeah. There's yeah. a revolt going there's on. There's a bit street. of a revolt. There's there yeah. is some there's some there's some resistance. Yeah. yeah. There's some uh, there's some there's some yeah upsetness yeah. fomenting amongst the uh, the people. Yeah. There's <laughs> hashtag coming for zit. But um, exactly. yeah, we, we, had, we had we had one. Maybe um, you should hang your flag upside down. Oh boy. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and drive a tractor as well. We had we had one family in my street yeah. um, uh, out in there at ten o'clock. Um, singing, they didn't sing the Wilhelmus actually. They, they sang uh, Langzali Leven. Yeah, but um, really, so, oh, so slightly, slightly. But I think that was better. I preferred that, not by much, but uh, it was better. <laughs> so speaking of. Uh of not participating in things, Gordon. I hear you're, mm. like, no longer properly participating <laughs> on the hell site that is Twitter. No, I am. <laughs> I think participating better. I've enhanced. I've, I've achieved oh. level two, I think. No, I, I, I just tweeted this week um, something about um, de- deciding to just meet more people on Twitter in general. because uh, and, and I feel I've become... Well, I've just become healthier and happier as a result. And now just preempted what, me. What instigated the muting? I don't know. Did, 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 I think just being on Twitter. I think at some point you get to yeah. the point where you just uh, you, you, the, the, the Twitter sort of runs by, uh, as we all know, um, uh, has the kind of the law of dimin- diminishing replies, right? So the yeah. further you get down a thread, the, the lower the quality of, of reply. So, well, well, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. if you have any kind of tweet that has any kind of traction, eventually you know, the, the the trolls and the bots will start pouring in. So the best thing is just to yeah. preempt. So you know, get your retaliation in first, as they as they say in Scottish rugby. So mute them before 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 they get to you. The the mute button is the best invention since sliced it's bread because yeah. it's better because than the block if you button, block someone. Yeah, when then then that person will know that you have blocked them and yeah. can uh, also use it as a sort of cele- uh, uh, you know is t- yep. take a screenshot of yep. that and post it as sort of yeah. celebration. But, but if you mute them, then that person yeah. does not. Yeah, like a badge of honor. But if yeah. you mute that person, that person will not get notified. So it can just um, uh, keep ranting about whatever he is uh, he's ranting about. But yeah. he will not know that you will not see that anymore. So exactly. y- y- that person, you are wasting that person's time and not. 
your time. And not your own time, I... exactly, yeah. So my, my, my new tactic now is just actually to, when you reply to one of these people, just to mute them straight away. And then you can really enjoy yeah. the idea of them <laughs> screaming something that you're never going to hear, which is much more enjoable yeah, than any screaming against the digital yeah. wall. This is yeah. so petty. So I, I like yeah. to be even slightly pettier than this, which I did not know was possible to beat you two at this game. But I often employ the shadow block where I will block someone and then unblock them because that forces them to unfollow you. Um, and then I also find that that really gets rid of people who like just, you know, if I have somebody who constantly comments on everything that I post with like some stupid thing that's like dumb or whatever, then you just mm. like shadow block them and then you disappear from their feed and then they no longer comment and your life is I'm, much better. I'm checking right now if you shadow block me. I've, no, I just oh, actually you did. blocked yeah, you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Paul, what's prompted you to become the Bob Ross of this um, podcast? What's your, what's Corona lockdown's making us all take up crazy hobbies. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, uh, there was a there was a uh, protest uh, earlier this week in The Hague um, yeah. between a unique combination of anti-lockdown, anti-5G and anti-vaxxers. It was a really weird combination and they were uh, protesting in The Hague in front of a, a Tweede Kamer building which was empty because everybody was on recess. Mm -hmm. you, um, you even have to form a coalition and protest in Dutch politics to get anything yeah, done. Yeah, apparently apparently you have to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and there were some great uh, journalists. A coalition of the unthinking, I think this was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, that's on point. Um, and uh, there were some journalists who took some great pictures of of a of a lady. Um, uh, uh, I'm not sure if she was wearing a yellow vest, but she was clenching onto a a, a, a sort of a, a pole with a traffic sign uh, while she was being dragged away by the police. <laughs> and th there was just great photos, and it just reminded me of the one of these. Um, uh, a renaissance painting so yeah. I looked up um, a website on Twitter where you can uh, which has some sort of filters where you can transform a photo into some sort of um, uh, yeah like, like a, a painting uh, and they had so many filters <laughs> that I uh, ended up with, I think, uh, 15 of these uh, paintings of, of a photo. This basically just killed an afternoon for you, didn't it? This, uh, it, it just yeah. killed an afternoon I'm sorry, uh, any, for me. I didn't have anything important to do because... <laughs> I really had it. Well, I, I was I was laughing really hard uh, because of the because of the protest. So I I couldn't concentrate anymore on anything else. So I Ooh. thought, yeah, let's just turn into Bob Ross. But um, yeah. yeah, it was it was lots of fun. Yeah, there are so many things I loved about this uh, this protest. But one thing, well, in particular, the the fact that all these these sort of I think 150 people or whatever it was were were all kind of very diligently practicing social distancing while they were protesting against. <laughs> um, again, against the coronavirus lockdown, which uh, which is which is by probably not not the most contradictory thing about it, but um, but were quite enjoyable nonetheless. But it was basically a protest uh, by people who said that they didn't agree with the that they thought coronavirus was a hoax, didn't agree with the lockdown, and yet they also didn't want a vaccine and thought that five G no. was they, 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 they wanted the right to go outside into the air where five G masks apparently are spreading this deadly disease, but they also don't want a vaccine to protect themselves against it. So. Yeah, no, and I, the, I and the disease it. wasn't real. At, yeah, it, it was. It, it was this 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 weird combination of of people and beliefs and opinion. It just it was marvelous. Yeah. And and I really loved the fact that they were standing in front of an empty Tweede Kamer building, which yeah. meant that they did not get any attention at all. Um, but they didn't. Um, uh, I think uh, their their protest wasn't authorized by uh, by the city officials. Uh, so right. uh, immediately, a lot of police yeah. uh, showed up at the at the plain in the Hague with a lot of police horses. Yeah. Uh, and, and it just and they just uh, stood around watching them infect each other with coronavirus. <laughs> and so we'll, yeah. we'll see an outbreak in uh, from from conspiracy theorist <laughs> facebook groups in about six days um so that uh, brings us to the ophef of the week and this week we have international ophef yes i love uh, this this ophef yes. is so good <laughs> yeah because Prime Minister Mark Rutte once again enraged Italy and Spain. 
Um, earlier in the week, you visited a waste collection point in The Hague uh, to see how they are dealing with the corona uh, measures and the one and a half meter society. And one employee stepped out of his truck and told Rutte that he should not give any money to Italy or Spain, referring to uh, the clash, of course, between the Netherlands and southern European countries uh, who requested emergency funding from the EU and the Eurogroup. Uh, we just, we big- just can't escape Eurobonds, like no matter how hard no, we try. No, yeah. no, no, there's no escaping. And with a big smile, on his face the prime minister reassured the man and he he said no 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 uh, i will keep this in mind and then he uh, walked away uh, 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 while laughing basically and this exchange was filmed by the nos who put it on their website and uh, soon the video was shared by italians and spaniards on twitter and after that it was also taken over by italian and spanish media uh, the video uh, has been shared thousands of times in italy and spain and one of the comments read um, how shameful to hear this from uh, a dutch prime minister in 2020 and another called on Italy to refuse to send sandbags in the event of a major flooding in the Netherlands. I mean, fair. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we made ourselves uh, popular once again in uh, Italy and Spain. I have yeah, so a quick basically- question, though, because so what he says in the video is what is, the exact word is "ik ik dit," right? Is that what he says? Yes. I, I will remember it. Yeah. I will keep this yeah. in but mind. I, yeah. I always thought that, like, when Dutch people said that, it was like the British equivalent of saying, "Like, that's interesting," as in, like, I'm. <laughs> I'm politely acknowledging what you have said, but I'm not in any way taking it seriously. Or am I like yeah. misconstruing this? That's that's how how I interpret yeah. it as well. He just wanted to be polite to this man. Yeah. Uh, he was also very aware that he was surrounded by cameras, cameras. so he f- he phrased himself yeah. um, very uh, 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 carefully. Yeah. But yeah, it wasn't careful enough apparently. Yeah. But yeah, that's well, true. Yeah, uh, I think he undermined it by the fact that he gave the guy a big goofy smile thumbs and a up. thumbs up. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. sort of uh, exactly. yeah, but that's, that's just that what he does messages. every time. He, yeah. he, he does that. He does that yeah. to anyone. If you he, don't know that, uh, and you're an Italian sitting there, and your your country is on fire. And, uh, and running up massive debt. So you're not going to be pleased, are you, really? You yeah. think that's no, true. no, no, that's very understandable. But uh, uh, I... I it's not that he didn't mean <laughs> what he was saying. I think he he still opposes the eurobonds and uh, and and that whole idea. Um, but yeah, I think he he expressed himself very carefully. Um, yeah, for a Dutch audience, I just think it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, unsurprisingly, he sort of wasn't thinking about how this comment could be misconstrued in a more global context. But, no, yeah. no. It's quite a feat when they've shut the borders, they shut the airports, you can't travel anywhere, and he still managed to annoy people thousands of miles from a distance of thousands yeah. of miles. <laughs> I mean, that takes some, some going, really. So now no Dutch politician now can travel to Italy or Spain for their summer holidays. You know, all those, <laughs> yeah. all, 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 all those um, summer houses are going to have to be sold if they're not burnt down already. <laughs> So. Yeah, no, no Benny Dorn for Rutten. The no. uh, the Dutch government really has to be careful to not insult France because then otherwise their only <laughs> yeah. options for summer vacations it's is going to be Drenta. Yeah. yeah. Yes, or Germany. Yeah. yeah. This week, we give you an update on the latest developments on the government's measures to tackle the coronavirus, as well as the latest statistics. We'll tell you about online research group Bellingcat's major breakthrough in their MH17 investigation, as well as the latest political developments in Brabant, and with which words the new Dutch language has been contaminated as a result of the coronavirus. The Dutch government will decide in the next few days if the use of face masks can or should be extended beyond the healthcare sector, Prime Minister Mark Rutte told a short press conference on Wednesday afternoon. Rutte said he understands the frustration and the cabinet will make a decision as soon as possible. The cabinet is currently looking into the use of face masks on public transport and by hairdressers, but the issue has to be looked at very carefully, Rutte added. The Netherlands has so far resisted calls for masks to be made compulsory outdoors, arguing that priority must be given to healthcare workers when protective equipment is in short supply. Health Minister Hugo de Jonge told reporters that demands for masks is now beginning to be met. Asked about media reports that officials have been ignoring leads to buy more masks, de Jonge said that suggestions are always followed up, but unfortunately the masks don't always meet the standards or are being sold for ridiculous prices by companies that turn out not to be existing. Um, 
And uh, there, there was a technical briefing in the Tweede Kamer on Thursday, I believe, Thursday morning. Yeah. Uh, and someone from the um, uh, like sort of the agency that uh, that 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 buys all these uh, medical equipment, he told MPs that uh, at the beginning of the intelligent lockdown, they received four emails a minute from people who were offering um, yeah. uh, medical gear and uh, protective gear. Um, so it just took a lot of time to uh, respond to that and to sort of assess if these um, uh, emails were, you know, uh, uh, of any use or if these were just um, uh, scammers, basically. Yeah, it's another genuine thing because masks have become a real scammer's delight, haven't they? There, there yeah. are so many masks yeah. going around and some quite big ones as well, like, you know. Yeah, didn't we? We talked about this, what, one or two podcasts ago with this, yeah. like, Dutch website that was cloned and they were, like, funneling the money from via the UK to Nigeria. And yeah, yeah it was kind it's of really crazy. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Um, uh, these certificates that were issued by um, this agency and also by the AOVM, they, they can be copied quite easily. So a lot of these companies, they just uh, uh, send that along with them, even though these, um, these certificates were really fake. So, yeah, it's really difficult to buy them. And also, um, uh, 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 yeah, there is just a run on 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 protective gear and face masks around the world, so it's just really difficult to to yeah. get a hold on uh, on on those in a in a short period of time. And this is why we can't have get haircuts, right? It's because they don't have enough masks. Yeah, but um, um, uh, I believe the the stock of face masks is 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 uh, is growing in, yeah. a, in has been growing in the past week. So um, yeah, there might be enough for healthcare workers so that it, they can be distributed among um, other uh, how do how do they call it the contact workers contact or professionals yeah. contact like professionals nail salons physiotherapists that yeah, kind so, of stuff anybody so, who has to like literally touch you to do their job yeah yeah. yeah. Yeah, because so, so my, my, I mean, as an aside, uh, my sister-in-law who works as a physiotherapist uh, said that uh, they had been uh, advised by the RFEM uh, this week that uh, they could start get, preparing to go back to work. You know, so having kind of a, a very oh, okay. gradual, a very gradual kind of safe um, reopening. I don't know exactly what that entails, but anyway, they've they sort of had the green light to say, you know, once once they've put the appropriate um, safety measures in place, then they can uh, they can reopen their clinic. Okay, oh, but okay. the message is uh, you, you can reopen uh, uh, in a relatively short amount in, of time. In principle, so start in principle they can, yeah, once they've, uh, hmm. once they've sorted out the, uh, the protective equipment situation. Yeah, yeah, that's the one and a half meter society we're going to have to live for, uh, in for, uh, for, for at least a couple of months now. Yeah. Uh, and it means that if you can't uh, keep a one and a half meter distance, then you need face masks and stuff like that. Um, and also, I, I read a lot of um, uh, uh, stories about, for example, cinemas and theaters. Uh, how they are going to have to deal with the one and a half meter society and it will basically mean that they, uh, a, a theater room or a cinema room it can only be occupied for uh, 25% because of the um, uh, one and a half meter society and the one and a half meter rules but yeah then the, the another question is will that be um, uh, w- will these companies uh, be profitable anymore if if they can only allow twenty five twenty five percent of people uh, inside? Um, so yeah, there there are some real questions, and um, you know the the economic impact, uh, or at least to me, uh, until two weeks ago, seemed to be like um, more like a long term problem. But yeah. in the past two weeks, it it has become a really really a short term problem. Um, Yes, yeah, so somebody I think came up with quite an interesting idea or so on Twitter. I can't remember who it was, but they were suggesting that maybe for something like a concert, not necessarily a rock concert, but a, a classical concert or something, where you basically sit down in a in a closed space, they they, they could maybe sort of have um, um, they could live broadcast it, right? And they would then they would yeah. have to actually sit in the um, um, uh, in the concert hall. They, they would charge like triple the price, so it'd be like a premium ticket, and then oh. everyone else, and then other people could also watch online for a much cheaper rate, and that would be how they could, you know, um, um, compensate for the fact that they can only have, um, you know, one third as many people in the venue as they had before. Yeah, so it becomes a real privilege to be in the concert hall, and if you so, yeah. you, you, so, so if, if you really want the experience, you pay a premium for it. Uh, but, other, but but there's also a kind of a, you know a, a social distancing price for people who want to watch at home. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a smart solution. I mean, yeah. what I have been sort of telling myself and other people in the hopes that like this is somehow reassuring is, of course, like the last 
sort of the closest kind of comparison that we have to the situation that we're in is the 1918 flu pandemic, which of course actually killed more people in 1919. So we really do have to be very cautious about opening things back up. But after 1919, we got the roaring 20s. So I mean, it's not like life was (laughs) totally dismantled for all of eternity. I mean, I think we will see, you know, these sort of intermediate steps for a while. And then eventually, you know, in a year or two, life is going to go back to the way it was before this happened for the most part. I mean, I think we'll see some lasting changes, but I don't think like we're never going to have concerts again or we're never going to be able to have bars again. No, sure. But we had the 1920s, but at the end of that, we had the Wall Street crash and then we had the rise of Nazism and the Second World War and the Holocaust. So, you know, I think uh, (laughs) once once, once we unlock, we've got about 10 good years and then it'll all go terrible, become terrible again. So, (laughs) I mean, I don't think those things are related to each other, but thanks for ruining it, Gordon. And also, uh, Rutte in this press conference, he stressed that it is still important to remain at home as much as possible and that people should not be tempted to go outside and ignore the one and a half meter rules because that can inflict a major risk of getting infected. Uh, The Prime Minister also said that the figures show things are going in the right direction now, but it is important to realize hospital admission figures have a lag of two to three weeks. So the admission rates we are seeing now reflect the infection rates of uh, of weeks ago. Um, Going shopping is not an outing for all the families. He said public transport is for people who have to go to work and we have to make sure uh, the transmission rate remains below one. If it goes above one, then the rate of infection will shoot up. Yeah, Gut is really kind of hammering home the messages in, in every press conference. He kind of keeps reiterating the, the, the basic rules and kind of lists them, doesn't he? It's, so in, in the, no. um, I was writing a profile about, of him for Dutch News this week, which I'm just going to flag up here because uh, sort of people actually read it because it took me ages. But uh, well, I sort of got the impression <laughs> looking back on those press conferences, you know, some national leaders have kind of just pictured this as like a, you know like like this is a war and we're, we're, we're fighting an invisible enemy and Russia sort of has more the tone that he's kind of leading a kind of national scouting expedition doesn't he like, so we're all, <laughs> you know he's, yeah. he's not using this kind yeah. of belligerent language he's not talking about sort of a fight or a struggle or anything he's just like saying we've all got to work together and you've all got to put the tent up together and then shelter for as long as it I... takes for the storm to pass I think that's an excellent analysis, <laughs> yeah, I, I have to admit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he, he, what you say, he keeps repeating the basic rules, and the rules are not that complicated. Keep a one and a half meter distance. Yeah. Um, that's basically the rule that you have to uh, oblige to. So, um, so yeah, I think you are... Uh, he, he just really needs this um, this uh, uh, this scouting hat, uh, like yeah. these uh, scouting leaders. What, yeah. What's um, yeah? Here, everyone will get like a I survived Corona scouting badge at the end of this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this lockdown. Yeah. What yeah, would the yeah, yeah. what would the what would the what would the scouting patch for surviving Corona look like? I wonder. Like, would um, it be like a little virus? Would it be a little like I don't know five G mask? <laughs> yeah, or maybe just yeah, a, maybe it'd be a man in an orange high high vis jacket giving a thumbs up to a binman, maybe. Yeah, there you go. That's also an option. <laughs> uh, yeah, and over um, half of the Dutch uh, people would be prepared to use an app to trace coronavirus infections if it met proper guarantees on privacy and security. That's what the Algemeen Dagblad reported on Thursday. The, the figures come from a representative poll of 900 Dutch people, which was carried out by researchers at Erasmus University in Rotterdam. Uh, to be successful, the app would need to be used by around 60%. Young adults are the most likely to agree to use an app which would use Bluetooth technology to alert them if they have been close to a coronavirus patient. Others could be swayed to install the app if its uh, use meant that they could join larger groups such as birthday parties. Um, yeah, as we heard, I think last week or the week before that, um, the, 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 the appathon of, uh, organized by the ministry uh, absolutely failed. Seven or seven or nine uh, private companies uh, showed up and pitched their idea for, for, for this coronavirus app um, but yeah, uh, it was a real disaster because one of this company uh, was revealed to to one of these app was revealed to have a major data breach um, as they were giving their presentation. Um, so yeah, it was slightly uh, embarrassing. It, slightly embarrassing. So it was um, it was a little bit of a disaster. So they're now going to uh, commission uh, uh, the ministry is going to commission uh, a company to 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 build the app. But as um, speaking of apps, by the way, uh, we know that ICT and the government, the Dutch government, is not a very um, fruitful combination. Uh, usually, all their ICT projects turn out to be a disaster, either uh, because the quality of the app is just ridiculous, or the, uh, the the there are major budget overruns. And it turned out that the NL Alert app. I was 
I was just going to say this. Ugh. And as it turned out that the NL Alert app, the app that will notify you in the case of a, a major disaster or emergency in your in your area, mm-hmm. um, has a major data breach. And this is the ah. sim- most simple app that you can develop. <laughs> it just needs to send you a message and it has a data breach. So... Um, yeah, the, it's not very yeah. Um, yeah, reassuring. Not real uh, it's not promising, app, isn't it? No. No. It's not a great precedent. No, I just love the, the I just love the fact that they're trying to sell the idea of an app to to the Dutch by saying, you know, if you use this app, it means you can go back to your circle parties. You know, that that is the strongest selling yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, 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 the people might be convinced by this, but the internationals are not into yeah. it at all. You know, the, 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 the the icon for the app is going to be a, a cube of cheese with a flagon stuck in the top, isn't it? <laughs> and a little sausage next to it. <laughs> and some faces around in a circle. Yeah, yeah, uh, 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 yeah indeed. That would be an excellent icon. <laughs> Uh, the coronavirus statistics are continuing to, um, to to drop. The number of people being admitted to hospital with COVID-19 fell below 100 a day this week um, and has been consistently below that level. Around 750 people are now being treated for the disease in intensive care, which is about half of the peak um, that we saw earlier this month. Healthcare workers account for around one in three infections. That's partly because they've been given priority testing. Among hospital patients under the age of 70, 58% work in the health service. Overall, just under 40,000 people have been tested for coronavirus, and the positive test rate is running now at around 10%. Nine hospital workers have died of the disease. Uh, They're all at least 45 years old, and six had underlying health conditions, the RIVM said. So we're starting to get a picture of uh, how it's impacting on the healthcare um, staff as well. So what is the total death toll now? Yeah, well, as of uh, Thursday, the day before we recorded, um, it was just under 4,800 people, which doesn't, of course, include care home deaths still. Um, Other countries are increasingly reporting care home deaths, but we're not. But the real number is likely to be higher, maybe by a factor of around 40%. I think the Financial Times did a survey of a number of European countries um, this week that suggested that the Netherlands was undercounting by more than just about any other country. Um, Mm. Impressive. yeah, don't yeah. always want to be the best at something. The, 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 that's, a, that's a real kind of feather in the cap, isn't it? Um, yeah, just, um, the, the, the daily number of deaths peaked at 169 on April the second and has been below 100 for the last week. Uh, the IFM have also given us some numbers of uh, who's recovered from the coronavirus, which we haven't really had up till now. Around 7,000 oh. out of the 10,000 people who've been admitted to hospital have been discharged. Um, although, of course, a lot of people will spend several weeks recovering at home. I think. Um, uh, apparently, for every day you spend in intensive care, it takes you a week to rehabilitate. So, some people oh, really? have, you know, oh, have got, got months of recovery still to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, on average, um, the, the average coronavirus patient spent seven days in hospital. However, only twenty percent of those admitted to intensive care have been discharged so far, and twenty-six percent of those have have died. Yeah. Um, so, there's also been some uh, upsetting research on blood clots. On top of all of this, right? Yeah, just when you thought um, you digested all the bad news about coronavirus, so um, along comes this research from three Dutch hospitals who said around half of patients in intensive care developed thrombosis, uh, or blood clots. Um, it's an unusually high number, and also many of the blood clots were found in people who aren't normally at high risk of uh, clotting because uh, because of things like high blood pressure or cholesterol or their smokers. Um, it does mean, of course, that doctors are aware of this and they can take pre- preventive action by prescribing blood thinning agents to coronavirus patients. Um, most of the embolisms were in the lungs, but there were also cases of patients developing blood clots in in the brain. So, yeah, that's uh, pretty. Oh annoying. boy, yeah, that mm. sounds like fun. So even when you Ugh. think you're over the best, and no, even when you think you're over the worst, and you're out of hospital, you still got this, uh, yeah, this uh, rather unsettling uh, uh, danger of, um, of yeah of, 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 of a fatal blood clot uh, hanging around. Yeah, it just shows that a lot of uh, we don't know a lot about the virus. That's what what this news uh, shows. That and yeah. also I, I I read an article. I think it was in the New York Times that a lot of young people who have coronavirus will eventually die because of a heart attack. Mm. Um, so it. It, it 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 just has a lot of um, uh, side effects that we still yeah. do not know. Uh, yeah, a, lo- a lot of lingering after effects. It seems to be a really debilitating yeah. condition. You know, there are still people out there on Twitter saying it's just the flu. Let's unlock, yeah. but it really, really isn't, and we're, inc- we're, no. we're discovering that increasingly. To continue the depressing news, the business news keeps getting worse. 
Remember how last week we talked about KLM bonuses? Well, right after this podcast came out, in a hastily convened last-minute press conference, the Blackir Freeze himself, Finance Minister Wopke Hoekstra, announced that the Dutch government would prop up KLM to the tune of 2 to 4 billion euros in loans and bank guarantees. France also announced that it would backstop KLM's partner airline, Air France, for 7 billion euros. KLM's fleet has been virtually grounded by the coronavirus pandemic, and the airline is considered essential by many to the Dutch economy. You, then, uh, Molly, you need to explain. Why do you call Wopke Hoekstraat the yeah. blockier freeze? Oh, I don't I don't call him the blockier freeze. Other people <laughs> just call did. him that. <laughs> you just um, did, yeah. It's because he's, uh, he's Frisian and he likes to block stuff like Eurobonds, but doesn't doesn't want to block stuff like uh, funding to prop up Dutch industries, it turns out. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this could be only been worse if you'd been a real blockier freeze and blacked up to deliver it, really. That's true. <laughs> Although it probably wouldn't have bothered Spain and Italy too much, that, that no. part of it. That's true. <laughs> then, earlier this week, Italy's most hated person gave his spring financial statement, and it was extra bad. Hoekstra told Parliament that the government expects the budget deficit to reach an all-time high of 92 billion euros this year, or 11.8% of GDP. The total is far higher than the worst-case scenario suggested by the government's macroeconomic think tank, Sepebe, at the end of March. It had put the maximum impact at 7% of GDP. And, Hoekstra said, the figure may need hefty updating because of uncertainties, so it could get even worse. I'm just surprised that even even a worst case scenario um, uh, it cannot be um, uh, predicted, right? Uh, so the yeah. worst case scenario yeah. is 7% and it turns out to be almost 12%. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just uh, an enormous difference. With the warning that that could not even be the worst, right? No. That it could still yeah. get worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I guess I just really don't know how it's going to work out. I guess this is different from... a. Uh, a more kind of conventional recession as well because this hasn't been caused by economic events either right. has it it's, it's just yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the economy yeah. was actually pretty healthy up until you know the start of yeah. March and then wham this happens so you know yeah. how much how much underlying damage has really been we, we're not going to know until we emerge from lockdown I don't think well, yeah, and it's pretty pretty unprecedented this situation, right? It's uh, yeah. it's 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 I cannot remember uh, a time when such a decrease in GDP was inflicted by the government itself and not by uh, structural yeah. underlying economic reasons. So, yeah, I'm just curious how we're going to get out of this crisis if if that means that the the economy will just jump back up to where it was or not. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Well, uh, if you're on Economist's Twitter, um, which is my favorite part of Twitter, and also uh, much more heated than... I've had to block more people on Economist's Twitter than maybe from any other part of Twitter. Um, There's a lot of debates about, like, are we going to have a V-shaped recession? So basically, you know, like you picture the letter V, right? Like it plummets down, but then it like spikes back up. Are we going to have an L-shaped recovery where it like plummets down and then just like keeps being bad? Um, So there's like a lot of discussions about like how this is going to come back. I mean, I think... Not that I think that anybody really wanted there to be a horrible pandemic that caused, you know, a global catastrophe and then a financial catastrophe. But I do think that there'll be a lot of interesting research that comes out of how economies respond to different measures that governments took. So I hopefully in the future we'll be better prepared for dealing with these kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, so, we, need, so we, maybe we need a European fund, which we can use to... Uh, in these sort of situations. You better watch no, 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 out. The Black no, 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 Freeze is going to come Apple. protest yeah. right outside your <laughs> window. He'll be, he'll be around oh. your house. Yeah, he'll be yeah. around your house with, with his blackface makeup on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shouting no, Paul. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, so, but that's an encouraging thing. You know, if we survive coronavirus, we've got all these economic reports to look forward to. Yeah, yeah it'll be a very interesting <laughs> reporting work, I think. I mean, I like an economic report, so I don't yeah. know what you two are going to do for the next six months. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to not reading economic reports. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I'm with you there. So it's all bad news, basically. It's not entirely all bad news. One of our Dutch news colleagues wrote an excellent story about how Dutch businesses are pivoting during the corona crisis. Um, She also defines pivoting in her story, which I appreciated. Uh, Breweries are making sanitizer. A company that makes temporary shelters for festivals is now making cabins that can be used by nursing homes to allow safe visitation. And a Dutch mattress maker is now making face masks. On the home front, I've basically given up journalism and I'm now making artisanal sourdough bread. (laughs) Which is also, it's better that you just... Possibly doing more for the world to be baking bread than doing journalism. I think that that's 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 for sure. (laughs)
Researchers at Utrecht University's Department of Veterinary Medicine will soon start a project to look into how sensitive cats are to coronavirus. The research will focus on the cats of healthcare workers who have tested positive for COVID-19. However, it is not expected that cats contribute to spreading the virus. Uh, transmission between humans is most important and cats play a negligible role, according to researcher Els Bruns. Uh, the research is being carried out on behalf of Farm Minister Carola Schouten, who wants to know if a sick person can infect a cat or if the virus spreads from cat to cat. But that, that but there has been news of other animals um, getting coronavirus, isn't there, Paul? Yeah, that's true. On, on Sunday, the ministry confirmed that COVID-19 had been found in mink at two separate fur farms in Noord-Brabant. Uh, yeah, you're really going to question yourself what the hell is going on in that province. Did the mink contract coronavirus uh, while they were celebrating carnival as well? <laughs> that's, that's highly likely, yeah. Why are there still <laughs> mink farms in this country, for the love of God? Uh, what is wrong with Brabant? Well, yeah, a lot. Everything. Um, <laughs> apparently everything. Um, so yeah, there's also uh, research being done into uh, uh, into pigs and uh, if, if they are going can uh, can catch the virus as well. And the Public Health Institute RIVM also says the chance of being infected by a pet is minimal, uh, but says people who show symptoms should not cuddle their pets or be licked by them. So Molly, if you have a cold, do not get licked by, uh, by Truby. Uh, and they should also ask someone else to take their dogs for a walk the rfm uh, advised uh, there have been um, a few other reported cases of coronavirus in animals including a tiger in new york and two cats in hong kong so yeah apparently um uh, animals can contract the virus too um but yeah i'm just really surprised by this uh, mink farm thing how on earth are minks getting infected by the virus well, what I had read, I think, was that somebody who was working there got it and that, like, they had, like, spread it to the minks, who then appeared to be spreading it to other people, which seems extra scary. I mean, I guess if minks can get it, it's probably not super catastrophic because minks are not, like, an incredibly popular animal to keep as a pet. Um, no. So I guess that's good. But, yeah, I don't know. Brahman is a disaster. I'm, I think we should just end the border at the, the southern part of South Holland and just give the rec- rest back to Belgium because yeah, this right. is not working out. I agree. Or to um, Spain. Did, yeah, um, did, but did it not like cordon off like some like uh, a circle of like 400 meters around the milk farm? Or something yes. scary like that? Yeah. Didn't they? Yeah. So, this uh, it's Just, a mink farm lockdown. Yeah, you think our lockdown is bad? Wait till you see what mink farm yeah. lockdown conditions Imagine are like. Imagine being a mink. Yeah. 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 Be glad you're not a mink in so many ways. <laughs> if you appreciate our ongoing efforts to keep you up with the coronavirus situation and all the other news in the Netherlands, and there is other news, believe it or not, why not back <laughs> us on Patreon? All our new patrons receive a big thanks from us uh, and a thumbs up in the high-vis jacket and the chance they also get the chance to ask us a question. This week, we welcome one new patron, Fernanda Martins, who tells us she moved here three years ago from Brazil. She says it really helped her, especially during her first year when she didn't know anybody and uh, everything seems very crazy. <laughs> I feel it really helped my integration. So, so nice of you to let us know that. Um, hmm. She has a few questions. She said, what are your tips for people struggling to learn Dutch? Uh, did you go to school or do online learning? And how did you get the confidence to speak Dutch with Dutch nationals? Also, how many stropfafels do I have to eat? Um, so, <laughs> well, as uh, many as possible. As I many can as possible. Yeah. That is but the correct answer. As, keep away especially from the, lavender, the ones. lavender ones. No, yeah, not yeah, the lavender yeah. ones. <laughs> no, Don't miss no. Them. no, no, no. They, they, they are terrible. Um, so, Gordon, how did you learn how to speak Dutch? Well, it's kind of. I was just. I was just thinking this. I mean, the, I mean, the, the one thing that I think that, that that you and I will probably both agree is that having a Dutch partner is a really helps a lot. Um, it helps enormous enormously with their trying to speak Dutch. So that was one thing. Um, apart from that, I sort of did a mix of stuff, really. I guess. I mean, I did do like a three-week um, um, uh, residential language course that was run by the Netherlands Taal Uni. I've no idea if they're still doing that. Um, and obviously, that might uh, not fit in with your timetable and your and your budget. But that was really useful. Um, but, but, but in general, just things like watching television, reading reading comic strips is a big thing. When, you know, when I wasn't that familiar mm. with the language, because the comic strip, obviously, the pictures give you a prompt. So you get an idea. And the sentences are oh. very simple and, and quite straightforward. So I read a lot of Siska and Visca. I'd recommend that, even though it's Belgian. Uh, I was just going Belgian, to ask which... The Belgians which, uh, do much better comic strips than, than the Yeah, Dutch. that's, 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 that's true. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's um, a great tip, actually. 
Just I also read books. Siska and Visca, like when I was first t- starting to learn Dutch with my Dutch instructor, we did a lot of that, which I really, I also would second that. Comma strips are great. Yeah. 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 Siska and Visca are, 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 are a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah. let's just read them. And uh, yeah, that's a, that's a nice tip. Yeah, and and also the, the yeah the the tip about how you get to, how you build up the confidence to go and speak Dutch with with people go out to the provinces in all in all seriousness. I mean, I, yeah, I learned to speak Dutch cities. in Twente. Yeah, if you're yeah. in Amsterdam, that, that it's all full of very self satisfied people who who, who <laughs> delight in switching to English as soon as they pick up a trace of an accent. Yeah. So so get away from all that nonsense and go out and meet real people in Groningen and uh, Utrecht and Twente. <laughs> yeah. I um I also took like a course. I did not find the course to be extremely useful. In the end, I ended up hiring a private tutor who is in fact Belgian, um, which creates its own <laughs> weird situations. Um, that I found to be really like particularly good. And then yeah, like Gordon said, I mean having a Dutch partner really helps. Actually, I think my Dutch mother-in-law has done more for me speaking Dutch than anybody else because she'll just yell at people who make fun of me or uh, speak English to me. Like she's she's chewed out a few Albert Heim cashiers over the years. I feel kind of bad for them. Um, so that also helps. Like, I think you just, if you want to speak Dutch with Dutch people, you just got to be like real insistent. Um, one of the things that I found that helped, especially when I was really getting to the point where I was kind of conversational, but like was having a hard time moving past that was sort of insisting on, you know, kind of asking like shopkeepers and stuff who I went to regularly to like only speak Dutch with me. Um, and then you can, you know, you do a little small talk, but you feel kind of, I mean, most of the time people are very like, oh, of course we want to help, um, that sort of thing, especially at like smaller shops. So like the farmer's market and like our cheese store and like the butcher and stuff. I mean, they, they only speak Dutch with me. And that really kind of put me in a situation where you like have to figure it out because they're not going to switch back to English, like because you've requested them not to. So I like, if you have a good relationship with somebody that you can ask to do that. I think that that's like really helpful. Um, I also always recommend the uh, Joch Journal, the like NOS has a, has a kids um, news program. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which of course is, is designed for children. So the, the wording is a bit more, it's sort of designed for like 12 to 16 year olds maybe. So the wording is a bit more simplistic. I mean, they don't use a lot of these like, weird complicated economic terms that like you know are probably not that relevant for you to know anyway um and so watching that i I found really helped so that's my that's my tip yeah great tip um yeah so yeah paul Um, how did you learn dutch yeah paul how did you learn dutch that's the other thing i was just born here that helps Mm. a lot i would just advise to be born here and then you you were born on a mink ecstasy farm (laughs) (laughs) that's great for your dutch yeah there's no denying that also you could be born here that's your other option yes Yeah, so, so 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 see if we can fix that somehow. Uh, we also have a question from um, a patron who um, uh, joined us last week, Andrew, who's from Wellington in New Zealand. He was asking us about the um, health system and health insurance, um, saying, uh, asking how exactly the Dutch system for insurance works. And he said it seemed unusual in a Western European country, and it seems little out of character for people who are so well known for their efficiency. Is it a new thing? Is there any pushback from people to change it to a more kind of uh, flatter, you know, um, uh, I guess public? Like single system, payer system, single payer system, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we should probably think about this because this system's been in place since two thousand and six. Um, yeah. I think the the current uh, insurance system, and it's kind of um, it, it, it's uh, Ben Coates on Twitter regularly calls says it's basically Obamacare um, in action, which it I think is. Is, a, is a fair description. It's basically it's, yeah. it's kind of although it is a private system, it's very very tightly regulated. And yeah. so, so you so, so you are obliged to take out basic health insurance. There are then additional packages you can take out, um, and also the insurers cannot refuse you, um, and they all have to yeah. offer the same basic package, which is decided by the government, not by the insurers. Um, so yeah, it's it, it, although it's not a publicly funded, uh, although it is a privately funded system, but it is kind of there's a very strong public policy element of it because you know everyone has to take it out and everyone gets the same basic level of care. Um, so I don't and think it's, it's not any... that unusual. We were sort of discussing this yesterday when you mentioned this question because Germany has a similar system and a lot of other countries that have like a single payer kind of Components. under yeah component. So like my my experience was with Spain, but you I think mentioned it's the same in the UK where there is like a basic system that's like guaranteed to everybody, but lots of people who can afford it buy private health insurance and sort of have access to more. Yeah, yeah, sort of expensive clinics and treatments and stuff. Um, so that's, you know, there 
private health insurance markets exist in a lot of these places where there's no, um, even where there's like public sort of, yeah, provided care. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's like that crazy. It doesn't feel, I guess, inefficient to me. Maybe it is. I mean, I guess it depends on whether or not you think private companies or the government can do things more efficiently, which I, you know, is probably a, a bit of a political divide that is beyond the scope of this commercial break. Yeah, there, there's a kind of whole um, sort of bu- bureaucratic element to it as well. I, th- I think that's partly what the buyer is asking about. You know, the fact that you have to, <clears throat> you have the insurers who then have to you know, negotiate with the healthcare providers uh, to set budgets and that kind of thing. And that has some kind of sort of um, slightly quirky kind of spin-offs. Like, you know, quite often you find that uh, non um, uh, non emergency operations, you know, hospitals start running out of money for them in like November. So if yeah. you, oh, if, if you need that, like my, my father-in-law needed a hearing aid a couple of years ago, and um, he went to see the, the, the operation was kind of planned for like uh, October, and he was told you couldn't have to wait till next year now because they, the, the, the budget isn't there to do the operation this year. So that kind of small thing, yeah, there are some small like kinks in the in, in the cable, as, uh, as the Dutch say, in, the, in, in that in, in that sense. But in general, it's not. I don't think it's not a controversial system. Although, I mean, there, there, there is a lot of uh, pushback, I guess, about the, the the cost of it. You know, the, the the cost keeps going up, even though it was designed to keep the cost down. Um, but in general, I think people sort of yeah, the quality of healthcare is good, and um, yeah, b- 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 people appreciate not you know not having to pay through the nose for it the way they do in the states. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have any particular problems with the healthcare system here. I mean, sometimes internationals do, but I think it's more about healthcare culture as opposed to like the the infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, b- before uh, 2006, when the, the the current system was installed, we had the single payer system, and I know, I remember that there were huge waiting lines for operations and for other healthcare uh, stuff. So, yeah, what you just mentioned about this hearing aid that he has to wait a, a month or two before uh, he can get the operation. Um, back then, it could have been easily been a year that he had to wait. Yeah. So, uh, the waiting lists are resolved. But yeah, um, uh, we. Have the system now for almost uh, 15 years now, and uh, we are going to see some drawbacks. For example, this uh, the amount of money that you have to pay for yourself, the eigen risico. Um, uh, that is uh, that started, I think, at around 100, 150 euros, and it's now yeah. 350 euros. So that has been increasing a lot in the past years, and um, that's something that's really opposed by a lot of people. But yeah, I think I guess I mean the thing for that, and that's always the thing that comes up in election campaigns, is that people who've got like chronic conditions and need like constant medicine, the eigen risico is basically an extra bill they get every January, and it's um, you yeah. know, if you're on a low income, that can really hit you quite hard because it's the same yeah. rate for everybody. Everyone has to pay three hundred eighty-five minimum. Um, so yeah, that, that's one aspect that, that always keeps coming up. And of course, the other thing is that the, because the basic healthcare package is decided by the cabinet, there are constant debates about what you should put in and what you should take out. So contraceptive pills were taken out, I think, what ten years ago. Molly will know this. Um, <laughs> and there's constantly people who, well, sorry, women know more about contraceptive pills than men, right? Um, yeah, but yeah. I didn't live here ten years ago, so that's okay. That's... But I thought maybe you picked up on. Yeah, yeah. But there's, uh, but, 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 there's periodically a lot of debate in, in Parliament about should contraceptive yeah. pills be funded um, through um, the basic yes, health care package Yes, they absolutely again. should yeah. be funded. I mean, yeah. I feel exactly. very strongly about this. Right. Um, so, 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 yeah, I hope that um, answers your question, Andrew. Yeah, it, it is a very Dutch system. It's very bureaucratic, so in that sense, it's a very Dutch system. It's um, very Dutch. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has to keep their bonnages um, and, uh, and submit them on time. If you want to become a Patreon supporter of the podcast and bankroll Molly's sourdough habit, it's very therapeutic apparently, log on to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. A senior Russian FSB official has been named as playing a key role in the shooting down of MH17. That's the result of an investigation by the online research agency Bellingcat. Colonel General Andrei Bulaka is the highest ranking Russian commander to have been implicated so far in the downing of the airliner in July 2014. He is first deputy to the FSB's chief of border service, who himself is one rank down from the head of the service who reports directly to Russian President Vladimir Putin. So a big cheese. Bellingcat says Bulaka supervised the throughput of weapons to pro-Russian separatists in the Donbass region during the Ukrainian civil war that was going on when the plane was shot down, and that means he must have authorised the transport of the Buk missile that brought down the plane from the 53rd Anti-Aircraft Missile Brigade that was based in Kursk. 
So how did Bellingcat exactly identify Burlaka? Yeah, it's always interesting to sort of trace the paper trail of Bellingcat because they always put it all online and, um, and make it very transparent. And uh, the way they kind of piece together these kind of scraps of evidence, uh, I always kind of find fascinating. Maybe it's just me. But basically, they knew the field name of the commander who was known as Vladimir Ivanovich, and they had a mobile phone number for him. And that's, all, that's what they had to begin with. And so they took that number, they matched it from a hacked list uh, that had been assigned to a Vladimir Ivanovich Burlak, um, not Burlaka, so that obscured the investigation a little, but they kept on digging and discovered a list of text messages, and that mentioned that uh, this number was listed as belonging to a deputy chief of the FSB whose real name is Andre. So that uh, they put those pieces together and they found that Vladimir Ivanovich Burlak and Andre Burlaka were the same person. But then they did a check as well, and what they did to check was kind of, uh, they wanted to do a voice match of the phone calls, um, the mobile phone calls from the field, so they needed to get a clip uh, of an interview with Balaka that was at least a minute long, um, so they, they kind of scouted about and they found an advert for someone who was selling a television in Russia where the screen grab of the TV happened to have Balaka on the screen at the time so then they looked at the listings for Russian television, in a couple of days round about the time the advert was listed they found the documentary that he was being interviewed on they got a clip that was a minute long they sent it to a forensic voice lab in the US and then compared it to the uh, mobile phone calls and they said it was a probable match yeah but that's kind of only back oh, wow. up that, yeah so there we are that's kind of the level of uh, sort of detail i went into yeah bell and cat always has these crazy sort of ways that they got to their conclusions it's sort of interesting to listen to um and there's been a development in the trial right gordon yes uh, the court in the hague where four suspects are being tried has ruled that 12 witnesses in the case can be heard anonymously one of the defendants oleg pulatov had objected to 13 witnesses and lodged an appeal with the district court's counsel chamber but it was only upheld for one of the witnesses. The council chamber consists of different judges from those who are hearing the trial, which is due to resume on June the 8th. Okay, interesting. I'm just really um, impressed by the Bellingcat investigation. Yeah. If this was a movie, then it would have been too complicated and too unrealistic. Right. Yeah, yeah they, they always kind of show you what's going on sort of under the bonnet, and it's always interesting to see how they piece these things together. Yeah, 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 that's true. There was another detail in that that was interesting, that they linked um, this commander to the guy who was the unofficial prime minister of the Breakaway Republic in Donetsk, and one of the reasons that they noticed that he'd been filmed, they'd been interviewing, they'd been TV interview with uh, another commander out in out in the field, they noticed this guy, the prime minister, was on the phone in the background, so they, they, they checked the time that the interview was done, worked out what time he was making that phone call, and realised he'd been on the phone at the time to Vladimir Ivanovich. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Nature is healing. We are the virus. Turns out that all the government needed to move forward on some environmental legislation was a global pandemic that has the entire country in lockdown. The Dutch government has unveiled a new package of measures to reduce carbon dioxide emissions in line with the Urgenda court ruling last December. The ruling stated that the government must slash emissions by 25% compared with 1990 levels by the end of the year. Various researchers suggested that the Netherlands is on course to reduce CO2 emissions by only 19% to 23%, although the coronavirus pandemic has already had a major impact on pollution levels. The new measures thrashed out by ministers over the past few weeks include a limit on the volume of emissions from the country's four remaining coal-fired power stations, but not a quicker decommissioning process as campaigners had hoped. More details on this will be published by the summer. So will companies get any help with complying? Yes. According to Economic Affairs Minister Eric Vibis, there will be a subsidy package which will include a variety of projects to help industry reduce CO2 emissions by improving equipment and techniques and to boost a green approach to construction. There will also be more subsidies to help greenhouse growers operate in a more energy efficient way. In addition, there's 150 million euros to help homeowners and landlords make their property more energy efficient and 150 million euros cuts in taxes for housing corporations that invest in insulation and improving energy use. And people who hand in old fridges and freezers will be eligible for a 35 euro discount to buy a new one. There's also another thing that was announced last week late on Friday. Apparently this is becoming a thing where they're announcing things late on Friday. The Netherlands will introduce a 15 cent deposit system on all plastic bottles smaller than one liter. The expansion of the current deposit system will come into effect in July 2021, and it is being introduced because efforts to reduce the amount of small plastic bottles in litter have not worked out. Junior Environments Minister Stieger van Veldhoven told the drinks industry at the beginning of 2018 that she would expand the deposit scheme unless the amount of small plastic bottles included in litter was reduced by between 70 and 90 percent. 
The current system applies only to large plastic bottles and some glass bottles. So are you guys excited about paying a 15 cent deposit on all of your soda bottles and stuff? I don't really care because you, you get it back. Yeah, I, it's the same thing here. You get like a little bonus when you go to the yeah, supermarket with all your exciting. I didn't drink any soda, so I'm not affected in any way by this. The only thing, well, I mean, I guess we do drink some beer that has a bottle deposit on it, but I tend to drink sparkling water, but only in like the really, really large bottles because I drink a lot of it. So I don't care because it's not the small bottle. So it doesn't matter. When you take your empty bottles back, you feel like you're getting a discount on your shopping, even though it's actually money that you paid in advance. It's a bit like yeah. Fikansi Hills, really. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's for, uh, like Fikansi Hills in that way. <laughs> Funny how that works. Bottles Fikansi Hills. But at least this has the bonus of reducing like pollution. Fikansi Hills does not have that. It increases pollution because it encourages you to go on vacation. Well, actually it encourages to pay your bills, but yeah. Sports news. At least 14 Eredivisie clubs are to apply to the government's emergency wage fund to pay their staff following the termination of the football season. That's according to a survey by news radio station Bayern Air. Ajax, Azad Alkmaar and PSV refused to answer the question. FC Emmons said they had a plan ready, but they hadn't decided whether to submit it. Up to you if you want to make a joke about slow readers in Drenta. I'm certainly not going to. <laughs> As expected, the Canfe Bay decided at the end of last Friday to just end the season because the government has banned all large public events until September the 1st. Like all employers, clubs can apply for up to 90% of their wage bill to be paid by the state under the furlough scheme, depending on how much turnover they lose. However, there is a ceiling of just over 9,500 euros a month for furlough pay, so that still means a hefty pay cut for players whose average monthly wage is 24,000 euros. I want my average monthly wage to be 24,000 euros. Jeez. You should have practiced football when you were younger. That's all I can say. <laughs> worth it. <laughs> I mean, even still, I'm a woman, so I wouldn't get paid that much. That, that's probably yeah. true. Yeah, Lika Martins does, I think, but that's literally the only woman who gets that kind of wages. Uh, so is everybody happy with this end of the season deal? No. The Canfe Bay said there'd be no promotion or relegation for next season, and that is uh, a bitter blow for Cambio Leovarden, who were odds-on to win the Nupala League. They and Dachafskat Dutingham, who are also in a promotion spot, are considering legal action against the Canfe Bay. Oh, Jesus. LFC Utrecht are also talking about uh, getting the lawyers in because they just missed out on the Europa League spot when the music stopped they were in sixth place and uh, only the top five get into Europe but will they bring in Dick Lawyer this is oh, a good question it's a job for Dick Lawyer you know what's going to happen? CNS is going to want me to cover this lawsuit, and then I'm going to have to like learn something about sports, which is going to be the worst thing that's ever happened to me. There's something about Dutch sports, more to Fuck. the point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but speaking of Dick Lawyer, of course, Utrecht were also due to play in the cup final against Dick Lawyer's Feyenoord, uh, so they argue they had uh, more chances to qualify for Europe during the regular season than fifth place to Willem II Tilburg. Utrecht had also played one game more, so the Eredivisie season could end up being played out with a penalty shootout in the courtroom. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be fun though. I would want to see that. A penalty shootout in the courtroom. Yeah. yeah, but all these clubs they seem to forget that especially in football everything can change within two weeks. So uh if you it's are okay, yeah. on top of the list right now, then uh, there's literally no guarantee that you will end up winning the league at the end of the season. So it's a little bit of um wishful thinking, I guess. Yeah, Utrecht had a part of their case was that they played a game less than Willem Twain and they were three points behind. But the snag is their game in hand was against Ajax in Amsterdam. So they would have had to win that game to make up the three-point gap. Yeah, indeed. Anyway, the football season is saga. Looks like it's going to keep rolling on. Yeah. And there was also some news about Ajax's goalkeeper, right? Yeah, Andre Onana, who says he wants to leave the club this summer. Uh, he's been in Amsterdam for five years. He's got an agreement with the club that they will release him if somebody comes in at the right price. The only problem is that no clubs have come in for him, and the transfer market has kind of dried up because of Corona. But that hasn't stopped his agent, Albert Martinez, from energetically going around the media claiming that a number of top European clubs are desperate for his signature. So Barcelona, Chelsea, Paris Saint-Germain and Borussia Dortmund apparently are all supposed to have been in touch with Botines, very keen to sign his goalkeeper and pay Botines' 10% commission. Ajax head coach Eric Ten Hag has said he doesn't want to lose the goalkeeper but he admitted he the club has a deal to release him if they can secure a suitable transfer fee. Okay, so is it likely that he will go? I think it is, yeah. I think the fact that he's come out in public and said, I want to leave, you know, when you get to that stage then basically you kind of made your bed. The only question is, I mean, the Ajax will probably have to take a cut in the amount of money they expect to get for him but they have been grooming reserve goalkeepers in preparation for this so I think they expected him to go this summer it's yeah. not a surprise to them why does he want to leave I don't know why I'm asking an actual money. question about sports but money he wants to go to a club that pays him more money why doesn't Ajax just pay him because more money because they don't have the budget 
Oh. They cannot pay as much as clubs that are owned by Russian billionaires <laughs> or, mm. or propped up by the Spanish state. Has the Dutch government considered selling Ajax to Russian billionaires? Because that would solve the problem. Yeah, but nobody is interested in FC Emmen. I mean, it's uh, oh. th- those clubs are not prestigious enough for these Russian... Uh, How dare you? <laughs> I just... FC Emmen are fine Okay, uh, Willem II then. That's better. I mean, I think there was a... Paul, we need all the donations we can get. Could you please stop insulting parts <laughs> of the Yeah, please country? stop insulting football I think fans. in recent years there was a Chinese millionaire who did an attempt to buy... He bought the Hague. Yeah, to buy Ado de Hague, but that turned out to be a disaster. Well, he owned it for a while and it was a total disaster. Yeah. And he, he just kind of he, he bought it and then sort of had second thoughts, I think, and lost interest and didn't pay his bills. And oh yeah, yeah I remember probably this. because he never visited a, or saw a, a match played by Ado Den Haag. And when he bought the club and visited the stadium and saw them play, he immediately <laughs> he regretted, <laughs> he regretted, uh, regretted uh, buying this club. But- did he keep the Bonacha so he could return it? That's the real. Well, the there were some uh, there were some court cases where to resolve the Bonacha's issue. I think um, <laughs> that's yeah. funny. So yeah, no, uh, n- not many international billionaires are interested in Dutch clubs, unfortunately. Otherwise, we could have kept Onana, I guess. Christian Democrats in North Brabant province have agreed their party can form a coalition with the far-right Forum for Democracy, following a poll of local party members. In total, 816 of the 5,000 local CDA supporters took part in the poll, and 56% of them said an alliance with the FVD was acceptable, with strict conditions. Despite criticism from party elders, the VVD and CDA in Brabant can now press ahead with forming a coalition with the FVD after the province's government collapsed last year. In March, the three parties, together with local interest party Lokaal Brabant, signed a document outlining the principles for working together. The CDA's local board will now decide whether or not to press ahead with that plan. FVD is the second largest party in Brabant, holding nine of the 55 assembly seats. National party leader Thierry Baudet earlier described the move as a good step forward for Forum and a giant step for the Netherlands. Does he think he's Neil Armstrong? I think so, yeah. Yes. Also ironic because it's Brabant. Like, it's, ugh, come on, guys. Yeah, I mean, of all the places, you would you'd never expect this to happen. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. yeah. But several CDA stalwarts, including former ministers Ernst Heers-Balin and Hanja Maiwegen, they have urged the party not to do it. Uh, the alliance in Noord-Brabant is the first time Baudet's party, which emerged as the big winner in last year's provincial elections, could be formally part of a regional authority. In Limburg, the party is part of a loose coalition of individuals. It sounds very Limburgish. Yeah. yeah. So why are the CDA party elders opposed to this coalition in Brabant other than the fact that Cherry Baudet is a proto-fascist? Well, it all has to do with Mark Rutte's first cabinet. Back in 2010, that coalition was formed between his VVD party and the Christian Democrats, but they didn't have enough seats for a majority, uh, so they sort of made an arrangement with uh, Geert Wilders' PVV party that would, you know, formally support the coalition in Parliament in order to get that majority. That arrangement was called a gedoogconstructie and it was heavily debated by CDA party members back then and it caused a major divide within the party between opposers and those in favor. That coalition collapsed in 2012 when a renegotiation of the agreement failed, when Geert Wilders basically walked out of the room and the CDA's political fortunes uh, took a major knock after this and the party lost one third of their seats in the next elections. And this experience really has traumatized not only the VVD but especially the CDA because they lost so many seats after that and the party leaders pledged never to form a coalition with the PVV ever again. Forum for Democracy has a lot of similarities with the PVV, of course, especially their anti-immigration and anti-EU positions, and also they are often called PVV light, basically. Uh, so naturally, a cooperation with FVD reminds the party elders of the dreaded gedoogconstructie experience, yeah. and that helps to explain why they are so reluctant to support the new coalition in Brabant as well. The major difference here is, of course, that it's no longer a gedoogconstructie, not a formal uh, support, but it's an actual coalition so that sort of changes it I think yeah but they're still kind of very wary of the whole idea of doing deals with um, populist right wing populist parties. nationalist yeah. um, parties with uh, neo-fascist overtones yes. and of course the, the FAD has also been in the news this week a lot because of various things that uh, seem to be um, going on in their like online discussion groups about lots of anti-semitism and uh, all kinds of uh, crackpot conspiracy theories that they seem to be very very invested in yeah shocker yeah. the fascist <laughs> anti-immigration racist group has racist and sexist and terrible things to say in their WhatsApp channels. 
Yeah, so uh, we're going to have to wait and see how this all turns out in Brabant. Um, and also a major difference is, of course, that it's not it's only a provincial coalition and not a national coalition. So there's not that yeah. much at stake, yeah. I guess. Uh, but yeah, it's the first time that Form for Democracy will be brought into um, normal politics, I guess. Yeah, and of course in Brabant, and that's kind of a concern, isn't it, in the context of um, something we've forgotten all about, which is the stickstoff uh, ruling. Yeah. Uh, because uh, Form is very oh, much yes. against any stickstoff measures at all. And of course Brabant is the place where so many of the pig farmers are based and that is a sector that really needs to cut down the stickstoff emissions if they're ever going to uh, reduce nitrogen dioxide in, in, in line with the court cases so yeah that, that could be a big spanner in the works um, on that front as well yeah, so with Forum for Democracy in charge now in Brabant that can really complicate stuff further in the future yeah. true yeah but it could also mean that Forum for Democracy will turn more into a normal party and much more moderate. But uh, it could. Uh, I, I, ha- I, I have. You li- remember in that context that their leader is Thierry Baudet. Exactly. So right. I'm I'm not hopeful that that will happen. But but we shall see. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see. Kind of the CDR have taken a huge amount of heat on this, right? But the FVD are in this coalition as well. Um, yeah, but the FVD is the Teflon party. They ca- they can get away <laughs> with so much. It's been really interesting to watch spokesmen for the FVD and the CDR on television, very energetically pointing out that this is a local thing and nothing to do with them. And <laughs> uh, you know, please stop asking us about this because it's really awkward. Yeah. that's kind of been, yeah. seems to be the main message of the FVD in respect of this coalition. Deal. Indeed. I am Corona Moo. And I have Corona Hans. These are just a few of the host of new Corona-related words and concepts that have spread along with the virus. Senior editor of the Vandalen Dictionary, Tendon Bon, has been keeping count, and the word score is 700 and counting. Wow. Yeah, the credit crisis changed the language too, but much more slowly, he says. The consequences of the crisis became clear much later, and a new word like underwater hypothèque, underwater mortgage or negative equity, didn't emerge until a year after Lehman Brothers failed in 2008. A small number of the new words will probably be included in the next edition of the Dikavandala Dutch Language Dictionary. Uh, Den Bond's personal favorites include Corona Nazi, a person who tells <laughs> others to keep to the rules and tells them off if they don't, and Quarantinder, meaning to be on the dating app Tinder while in quarantine. <laughs> That's very nice. So, guys, do you have any favorites? No, not really. I, I think Corona Moo is nice. I mean, the Dutch always yeah. have, an, have a way of inventing words that has to do with current yeah. affairs. But yeah, this is the Corona measures. They, they impact our lives so much that it was bound yeah. to generate a lot yeah. of words. I love that Corona is now officially what the King James Bible is to the English language. Now Corona is yes. to the Dutch language. Corona is basically the shape. Shakespeare of our yeah, time. Yeah, it is. Um, so I love the anderhalve meter samenleving, uh, the yeah, one and a half a meter one. society. Mm. It, it rolls over the tongue. Um, yes. It's a great word. Um, so I think that's my favorite. I like Corona Moo because I am Corona yeah. Moo, so that means like tired of Corona. But yeah. I also liked Corona Hond, so the condition that's brought on by frequent hand washing. Oh, really? as, <laughs> as a household that's had to buy a bunch more like intense hand lotions to combat like the dryness that you get from constantly washing your hands, I can also uh, empathize with oh, that. Very interesting. I'm really fond of uh, uh, Corona Lama, which is uh, somebody who spits and claims that they've got Corona. So they're, 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 oh, claiming, yeah, I saw they're that. claiming they're infecting you. With Corona, called the Corona Llama, and Balconada as well. They're like oh, Balconada, yeah, which refers to what? When people all sing together from their balconies, which mercifully they're not doing in my street, but give it time. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so Balconada. Only thing is, it sounds a bit too much like Balconinda. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. But, uh, I can't. That one won't take off. I think. <laughs> no, uh, also, like Corona Copsal, the uh, Corona hairdo corona for like yeah. it's the yeah the word for hair that hasn't been cut in a while or has been cut. Uh, badly yeah. <laughs> by its owner or or their partner or something. Yeah, it's also a good one. Nice. Yeah. I um I was watching a, a a YouTube video the other day of this couple who had to the the lady of the couple was was tasked with cutting the male of the couple's hair and in the middle of this so they knew this was going to be a disaster but in the middle of this the, the clippers died and apparently like the battery recharger didn't work <laughs> so not only was it bad but also it was only like half done so they had to wait like two days for a new charger to show up for him to be able to finish it so i think there's a lot of people who are suffering from a corona council. Uh, well lucky yeah. for him he, he didn't have to go outside so that's yeah uh, that's, that's a exactly plus side. Right. so 
check your battery charger before you yeah check your battery charger before you start cutting somebody's hair yeah Yeah, impulse important yeah the the idea has got a quiz Um, I was actually just uh, doing instead of listening to you guys just now uh, (laughs) where where, where, where you can actually test yourself on how many of these words you know there's also the uh, the phenomenon of the drive-by fiadach do you know anyone who's done this where basically because you can't actually have a party at home it's more for people who've got children especially teenage children they just take them out in the car and they sort of drive past their friends houses and sort of wave at them through the window you know yes yeah so they get they receive birthday wishes yeah so that's kind of nice yes none of us will have to hopefully celebrate our birthdays in lockdown right i think our birthdays are later in the year so that's 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 good i guess yeah i'm I'm coming up at the end of uh, end of august Uh, i think you're first i'm october and paul is january january yeah Yeah. Yeah. what about your kids gordon are they gonna have to have a drive-by birthday party uh my eldest is birthday is next month so yeah so he's, oh, yeah, he's 17 maybe. luckily it's not it's not it's not the big one but uh, still yeah that's good we, may, we have to take him out for a drive that's all we have for you this week this podcast is a production of dutch news which can be found online at dutchnews.nl we will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes you can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl and if you want to help us out please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating uh, you can also back us on patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnews.nl and earn yourself a free shout out and a question on the podcast my thanks to uh, gordon Derek and molly quell i'm paul peters and we'll be back next week you have like you know um uh, chronic conditions and constant um what's happening the hell is that what is that yeah is is that mark ritter turned up in his uh, bin lorry that was my alarm (laughs) it's (laughs) it's It's a warning that the Black Ear Freeze is approaching. Yeah. <laughs>